Well, if you have a Bible, either a printed copy or a digital copy, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua 14, verse 6. We've been talking about the family, and, and we started off talking about the family by laying a foundation, and we laid that foundation by looking at Genesis chapter 1 and what the Bible says about truth and what the Bible says about gender and what bi- the Bible says about men and women. And, and then we looked at what the Bible said about marriage and spent several weeks there. And, and then we talked to, to parents and how we're to parent. And then we talked about how we're to be children of every age and every stage of life. But, but today, I want us to take a few moments and talk to senior adults. Because what I'm discovering is that today, more than ever before, it seems like grandparents are a part of their grandkids' lives. They're more um, involved today than ever before in their kids' and their grandkids' lives. And, and it seems like today, more than ever before, there are even many grandparents who are raising their grandkids. So what does the Bible say about growing old? But before we get into that, I want to read something to you I found this week. It it was um, a list. You know you're growing old. And so let me just give you some of the things that I read on this list. It said, you know you're growing old when you seek your teeth into a stake and they stay there. That happens. You know you're growing old. You know you're growing old when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. I can relate to that one. You know you're growing old. You know you're growing old when you're still chasing women. You just can't remember why. You know you're growing old. And you know you're growing old when the gray-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. Can any of you relate to any of those things? I mean, I can relate to some of those. I heard about these two guys that were in their 80s that were sitting on a bench in a mall. They were waiting for their wives who were shopping, and they were talking about life and about health. And one of them said to the other, and he said, Jim, I've got more aches and pains than I've ever had in my life. I'm just hurting all over. How is it with you? And Jim said, well, I feel like a baby. And his friend said, you feel like a baby? What do you mean? He said, yep, I got no hair, I got no teeth, and I think I just wet my pants. <laughs> I hope you can't relate to that, at least not right now. But, but my dad used to always say, before he passed away, my dad said, growing old ain't for sissies. And, and that's really true. Because the older we get, the more we see all of our friends and all of our family passing on before us. My mom who is going to be 87 on her birthday. All of her siblings have passed away now, and and all of my dad's brothers and sisters except one have passed away. My mom's the only one left, and we, we see that happening. As we get older, we discover that our money doesn't go as far as it used to go. We don't have as much money and and things seem to cost more than they've ever cost before and things can become financially 
difficult. And it is true, as we get older, we discover aches and pains that, that we've never had before. And it seems like things that used to work really well don't work anymore. And so growing old isn't for sissies. And yet at the same time, statistics reveal that we're living longer and we're healthier longer than we've ever been before. A recent Rand McNally survey showed that very soon the average life expectancy will be close to 90 years of age. Think about that. The average life expectancy close to 90 years of age. The fastest growing segment of our population today is people over 85. That's the fastest growing segment of our population. And yet many people who are older in life seem to think that we get to this certain age, we retire, and then we spend our life at leisure. And yet, I don't think that's the way God ever intended for it to be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with retiring and having more free time. But the older I get, the more I've come to realize that as we get older, it's not that we don't have anything to offer. We have a lot to offer. And there are many older people who have vast storehouses of wisdom, knowledge, and experience that they can share with us. And there are many older people whose health still allow them to do things that they could do 20 and 30 and 40 years in the past. And, and some people can do it about as good as they could do it back then. And, and so the day and age where I think we we retire and then we just sell off into the sunset is gone. I think personally that for those of us who are Christ followers, what we need to do as we get older is we begin, need to begin to ask ourselves, how can we invest our lives so that we can leave a legacy for future generations? Not only how can we enjoy life and do some things that perhaps we've never been able to do before, that's okay. But how can we invest our lives and make a, an eternal difference for future generations? I don't think many of us realize how much has been accomplished later on in life. Winston Churchill became the prime minister of England at 65. And that's when he began that epic struggle with Hitler. He was 65 years old. At age 81, Benjamin Franklin mediated between disagreeing factions at the Constitutional Congress at age 81. At age 80, Grandma Moses, who started painting in her 70s, had her first exhibit at age 80. And even what's more amazing is that 25% of her 1,500 popular paintings were done after she was 100 years of age. And so don't tell me that as you get older, you don't have something to offer. The reality is, many people discover that their very best years, their most productive years, are their later years. So let's ask ourselves, how old is too old to accomplish something great for God? 
I mean, if we can accomplish great things politically, if we can accomplish great things in the arts, great things in other fields when we're older, can we accomplish great things for God when we're older? Well, well think about this. Abraham was 100 when he fathered Isaac and began the nation of Israel. Moses was 80 when he was called by God to lead Israel out of Egypt. Daniel was close to 80 when he was thrown into the lion's den. John, he was close to 90 when he was exiled on that prison island of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. And Caleb, Caleb was 85 years old when he entered the promised land ready to fight for the Lord. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at Caleb for a few moments because Caleb is one of those people that I believe accomplished some amazing things for God. You remember Caleb's story? He was one of the 12 spies that went into the promised land to, to, to spy out that land before they were to go in and take the land. But when they went back, two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua said, God has given us this land, we can take it. But the other ten spies, filled with fear, said, we can't take this land. We should never go into there. I want you to know that we need some men and women like Caleb today. Now, don't think that Caleb had life easy. He didn't. Caleb was born into slavery. He spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And he was 85 when he finally began to take control of the land that God had given him 40 years earlier. And so Caleb didn't have an easy life, but he had a profitable life. He had a productive life. He had a life that made a difference for the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear my heart. It doesn't matter whether you're 25 or 85. If you're still kicking God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And you need to find what that is and give it all for the glory of God. And so let's look at, at what it says about Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. It says, A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jethunah the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me? When we were at Kadesh Barnea, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made the promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. 
So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephthah, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephthah the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now one day, regardless of how old we are right now, one day we're going to come to that age of retirement, that age when we're tempted to turn the reins over to someone else and let them do the work. But I want to challenge that thinking today. I want to challenge you to be a Caleb. I want to challenge you to to never turn the reins over, but to serve God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, as long as you have energy to serve Him. Make an eternal difference. Don't just live your life. Leave a legacy for future generations. So what was it about Caleb? What was it about Caleb that allowed the Word of God to say that the land that was given to him when he was 85 is still in his family's name because of the man he was? Well, I believe there were five things about Caleb. Here's the first one. We need to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I want you to listen again to what Caleb said about himself in verse 8. It says, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. That word wholeheartedly is found 16 times in the Bible. 16 times. And six of those times it is used to describe Caleb. Think about that. That word is only used 16 times. And of those 16 times, six are used to describe one man, Caleb. When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment of all, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You see, to follow the Lord wholeheartedly means to follow Him in every way. It is to follow Him in everything, regardless of the cost. It is total commitment to Him. Now, it seems, at least to me, that there aren't many who are willing to make that kind of commitment today. But the truth of the matter is, that's the kind of commitment that God has always called for. And yet, it seems like today, that most of us want to compartmentalize our life. We want to give a portion of our heart to this, a portion of our heart to that, and a portion of our heart we give to God. But the Bible says that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, not a part, not a portion, not most of our heart, but we're to love the Lord with all of our heart. And the truth of the matter is, there's no way that you can read the Gospels without discovering that the call of Jesus was always a call to complete devotion. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story of of Jesus in, in a conversation with three different people. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 57. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. 
The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury the dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, there's no way, listen, there's no way that you can read that passage and it not shake up your world. I mean, Jesus was calling for complete, total allegiance. I mean, let the bed, dead bury the dead. You don't need to go home and say goodbye. You just need to come and follow me. And, and we can try to interpret those verses any way we want to. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus was saying, when you follow me, you're putting everything else on a back burner. L later on in, in Luke 14, it says this, it says in verse 25 and following, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mo mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, now let me just lay it out. Jesus wasn't telling us that we're to hate people. The Bible makes it clear that we're to love people. But what Jesus was saying is when we compare our love for him with our love for anyone and anything else, our love for anyone and anything else pales in comparison to our love for him. That's what he calls for. He calls us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, to be totally and completely committed to him. Of Joshua and Caleb's generation, those were the only two that entered into the promised land. That, that, let that sink in. Of hundreds of thousands of people, millions perhaps of people, only two people in their generation entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, because they were wholeheartedly following the Lord their God. Can that be said of you? Or do you have a half-hearted commitment? Do you have a divided heart? Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Here's the second thing. You have to be courageous in your stand. When Caleb went into the promised land, he and Joshua saw a land flowing with milk and honey. The other ten saw giants. When Caleb and Joshua came back and reported to the Israelites, they said, we can take the land. We need to go in to the promised land. The other ten said, we need to pack our bags and go back to Egypt. And when the entire nation was ready to stone them. They held to their convictions. They were courageous. And now it's 40 years later, and Caleb is still courageous. I want you to listen to what it says in Joshua 14, verses 7 and 8. It says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. 
Now, the word translated convictions in the NIV and the word translated honest report in the New Living Translation literally means from the heart. And it can be translated courage or courageous. What the word literally means there is a conviction of your heart that gives you courage to take a stand even if you are all alone. And that's what we need today. We need people like Caleb who are willing to take a stand against the norm, to take a stand against the culture of the day and attempt the impossible for God. Here was Caleb. He's 85 years old and he's ready to fight a battle. He wanted to go against the biggest and the baddest of the people in the promised land. He was saying, give me a challenge. I would rather die attempting something great than to sit back and watch from the sidelines. When I think about courage, I think about Moses who stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said to Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow before you even if we die. I think about Peter and James who said, we must obey God rather than man. I think about a world that has been filled with people who have been willing to stand true to their spiritual, biblical convictions even when it costs them their life. And I am telling you today, that if we are ever going to take back our nation for Jesus, it's going to be because there are men and women like Caleb and Joshua who are willing to stand on their convictions for Jesus, for righteousness, for holiness, regardless of what it cost. In Joshua chapter 1, God said to Joshua, This is my command, be strong and courageous do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Be courageous in your stand. The third thing we see, if you want to be a Caleb, remain faithful to the Lord. I want you to listen to what it says in verses 7 and 10. It says, I was 45 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. Then in verse 10 it says, today I am 85 years old. It had been 45 years since Caleb had first seen the promised land. He had been wandering in the wilderness for almost half of his life. And yet he remained faithful. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there were moments of doubt. There were seasons of discouragement. I imagine there were times when Caleb looked up to heaven and he said, God, it's not fair. I stood with you and I stood for you, and yet I'm here wandering in the wilderness with everyone else. I mean, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is a long time. And then yet in the midst of all of that, Caleb remained faithful. His faith never faltered. He remained faithful in the good and the bad. And now Caleb finds him at that same place he was at 40 years earlier. And he's still faithful. In Romans chapter 8 verse 31, it says this. It said, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You're my disciple if you remain faithful. 
I want you to listen very carefully. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish that determines whether you're a winner or not. The world is filled with people who start strong, who never finish. There are some who who simply give up. There are others who fall by the wayside. But I want you to hear me. If you want to make it to the promised land, if you want to win the prize, you have to finish the race. Caleb did. You remain faithful to the very end, regardless of what life throws your way. Because life can be hard, life can be tough, life can be unfair. But you remain faithful. Here's the fourth thing we see about Caleb. And about you, if you want to be a Caleb, you have to take God at his word. Uh, Listen to verse 10 in the God's word translation. It says, so look at me, Caleb speaking. The Lord has kept me alive as he promised. God had told him that they would conquer the promised land and he believed God. God told him that the giants and the armies that stood before them would not stand a chance. And he took God at his word. And now he is looking over at a mountain. He is looking at the hill country and he's saying, God, I still believe that you are faithful and you will give me what you promised to give me 40 years earlier. We need to have that same kind of faith in God's word today. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Opinions change values change our views change but God's word never changes God's word is the same yesterday today and forever in a world that is filled with confusing ideas we need a constant timeless word and that word is God's word our problem is we're looking in the wrong places for truth. We need to go back and look at God's word for truth. And if we do, we will find out that God's word is not only true, but God's promises are true. And what God has promised, he will do. When it's good promises, he will come through. When it's promises of judgment, God said he's going to judge one day. That's going to come true as well. We take God at his word. And then the final thing, we look at the future with confidence. I love verse 12. Caleb said, if the Lord is with me, I can force them out as he promised. When Caleb looked to the future, I believe he had a sparkle in his eyes, even at 85, because he was ready to face the giants with confidence. And the reason he was is because he knew that if God was for him, who could be against him? And really, it didn't matter who was against him. If God was for him, then he was okay. And so he was willing to face whatever was up in that hill country with confidence, knowing God would give him the victory. What about you? I'm not 85, I'm 63. And back when I started pastoring, just a uh, few 40 years ago, I, I would be two years away from retirement. 
That's the retirement age when I started pastoring. I was, if people, my dad retired at 65. Man, I, I can't think of retiring at 65. I feel like I'm too strong. I feel like I've got too much to offer to retire at 65. I, I don't want to go and sit by a fishing hole and fish all day long or sit in a tree stand and shoot deer all day long. I want to make an eternal difference for the glory of God. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with you getting in your deer stand. If you kill a deer, bring me some meat. If you catch some fish, I'll fill my freezer up with them. I would love to do that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But listen, you can enjoy your life and still make an eternal difference. I believe with all my heart, if those of us who are a little later on in life do not begin to take a stand for the sake of our kids and our grandkids, they're not going to see the world that we grew up in. They're going to see something vastly different, something wickedly different. And yet I believe with all my heart there's hope. I believe with all my heart that if you and I are willing to be like Caleb's and we are willing to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, courageously serving him, faithful to the very end, trusting God's word, then we can face the future with confidence. And who knows? We may see God do something that surprises everyone. I mean, after all, used an 85-year-old to slay the giants, he can certainly use us to change the world for the glory of God. The question is, are we willing to be used? I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a few questions. Are you following the Lord wholeheartedly? That's the first step. If you're not, that's what you need to make a commitment to do right now. And you need to look at your heart and determine, does God have my heart or do I have a divided heart? Does my heart belong to some things of this world, to some people of this world? And if it does, you need to give God your whole heart, every fiber of your being. You need to surrender to him. Once you do that, you need to be courageous and stand true to biblical convictions. Stand true to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Stand true to the Bible being our source of morality. You need to be faithful to the end. There's going to be a lot of reasons to give up faith. There's going to be a lot of reasons to throw in the towel. But you've got to stay true and trust God and hold on. You've got to trust his word. And even when people laugh and mock, you've got to stand on his word. And if you do that, you can face the future with confidence. And you can leave this world a better place for your children and your grandchildren. Father God, my prayer is that today you will touch my heart and you will touch each of our hearts in here, those of us who are adults. And I pray, Father, that we'll make a commitment today not just to live our life, but to live 
a legacy for your glory and your honor. And I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. This morning.